Tonight we're in Luke chapter 5. We are in Luke as our last leader studying in Luke. Kind of got a later start and didn't have an opportunity to deal with Luke very much. So we're only in chapter 5, but we hope to look at the entirety of the chapter tonight. That's 39 verses. And if you look at your Bible, you'll see these headings. And usually headings in Bibles are pretty good about summarizing those following paragraphs. And in Chapter 5, above verse 1, I've got Jesus calls the disciples. Then above chapter 12, Jesus cleanses a leper. Above verse 17, Jesus heals a paralytic. Then above verse 27, Jesus calls Levi. And then above verse 33, a question about fasting. And so we're going to try to look at the entirety of these things tonight. Back in chapter 5, beginning of verse 1, Jesus is there. Here we have Lake of Gennesaret. This is the Sea of Galilee. It's known by about three different names. And there is a crowd there. They're pressing on him. And and you could just imagine Jesus next to the water. And here's this crowd. And so he goes and gets into a boat. And he sits down to teach. It's almost like he has a natural amphitheater. And you usually do find a person sitting down to teach. Today, our teachers would typically stand. There commonly, they would sit. And so, he teaches. And then following this, after he had finished speaking, he says to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And the response was, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. Now, remember, Peter, by trade, is a fisherman. In other words, okay, I know some guys that are fishermen. They know where to go. They know when to go. They know what kind of bait to use. And they usually catch fish. He was the fisherman. He knew where to go, when to go. And it was common then to fish all night. And that's what he had been doing. That was the time to catch fish. He didn't have a very successful evening. And so now this carpenter, turned preacher, says, you go out into the deep. You know, he is thinking, hey, I've already been fishing. I didn't catch anything. Maybe within his mind is a little bit of, I'm the fisherman, you're the carpenter. But you cannot help but appreciate the attitude that he had. He says, but at your word... I will let down the nets. Let me tell you something. It may have not seemed reasonable to him to go do what Jesus said do. But he did it because Jesus said do it. And we're going to be faced with things and times in our lives where when it comes to what God says in His Word, we may take a step back and think, does that sound reasonable to me? Or we may be taking a step back and saying, I don't exactly like what I'm hearing. Or we may take a step back and say, I'm just not sure I, 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 I can do that. I hope we have the attitude of Peter. At your word, nevertheless, at your word, I'll let down the nets. In other words, Jesus said do it, so I'm going to do it. No matter if it's outside my comfort zone, no matter if I fully understand it, 
No matter if it seems reasonable to me. No matter if folks around me won't like it. Jesus said, do it. And so I'm going to do it. I hope that you remember that little section, those few words. But at your words, I will let down the nets. And then, of course, you see what happened. They had so many fish in the net that it says their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners. This would have been James and John in the other boat to come and help them. And it says when they had filled both boats so that they began to sink, he did what Jesus said do, and he was blessed. You do what God says for you to do, you're going to be blessed. Oh, maybe it's not blessings right here now. Maybe it's not the blessings of your choice. But I'm convinced of this. You do what God says. And you're going to be blessed. We find Peter's reaction, verse 8. said, He fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. He gets a good catch of fish, and he's made to be aware of his sinfulness and the Lord's righteousness. And it ends there in verse 10. Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. He says to fishermen, don't be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. If they were hunters... I think he might have said, from now on, you'll be hunting men. I think if they had been builders, contractors, labormen, skilled labor, he might have said, you've been building buildings. From now on, you're going to be building men. Or maybe if they were, maybe if it were some ladies. Well, men can sew too. But more typically of ladies. And they sew And they make dresses. You've been making clothes. Now on you're going to be making. Making men and women follow me. Maybe if it had been a bunch of salesmen. You've been selling. All kinds and all sorts of things. Now on you're going to be selling. The gospel of Jesus Christ. What do you do? I'm serious. What do you do? What are your skills? What What is your skill set? How do you make a living? Now use those same skills and skill sets for Jesus. And you do that, what's that going to mean? Seriously. What's it going to mean? You were... A fisherman. Now you're going to be a fisher of men. And then in verse 11, and they left everything and followed them. You know, I think it's hard for us to quite comprehend fully what the left everything is. But we're going to see that a little bit later with regards to Levi as well. That's the number one. That's the first section. We've flown past it. But I hope that you'll remember. I really do. Hope you'll remember. Nevertheless, or but at your word, 
I'll let down the net. And you remember, from now on, you will be catching men. This next section is Jesus cleansing a leper. Leprosy was an infectious skin disease. And we can read about it, actually, two or three chapters in Leviticus. Horrible, horrible disease. Now, it could have been various skin diseases, but you see what we read about what they're to do. It was an infectious skin disease, so one of the ways that it was treated was basically quarantine. The people who had it couldn't be around other people. They were to cover their mouth, cry out, unclean, unclean, and stay at a distance from others. You know, sometimes I think that the being the social outcast, and that's essentially what they had become, that would have been almost more dreaded than the disease itself. And what would you do if you could but be healed of leprosy? It says, while he was in one of the cities, in the city... You know, the leper wasn't to be in the city. Maybe they were on the outskirts. Or maybe this leper was just so bold to kind of ignore some of the leper rules. Luke records he's full of leprosy. Remember back last last week, chapter 4, with regards to Peter's mother-in-law? She had a great fever. It's like Luke the physician is assessing the fever. It's a great fever. He's assessing the leprosy, full of leprosy. A little more detail than the other writers. When he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. He had all the faith in the world that Jesus could do it had all the faith in the world that Jesus could heal him of that leprosy. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. Now, I know we read over that really fast. I don't think we realize exactly sometimes the depth of that meaning. Jesus reached out his hand and touched him. You see, with that leprosy, the hugs and kisses of his wife would have been a thing of the past picking up his child or grandchild and hugging them close. That would have been a thing of the past. The friendly handshake of a friend. A thing of the past. How long had it been since he had felt the touch of another human being? And Jesus reaches out his hand and touches him. He said, I will be clean. That's all it took. Jesus to say those two words for the leprosy to leave him. It says, and immediately the leprosy left him. When you think about a miracle of Jesus, think of that word, immediately. 
Sometimes today people will say, it was a miracle! And he had surgery and he had recovery and he had medication following the recovery and then two years later he was declared cured. No. That was not a miracle like the miracles that Jesus did. There's that word, immediately. It's a miracle. Well, sometimes he still needs his cane. No, no, no. You can be sure of this. When you read, I will be clean, and the leprosy left him, it was gone. And it was completely gone. He was no longer a leper. Not the same as what some people claim to be miracles today. Then in verse 14, it says, And charged him to tell no one, but go show yourself to the priest, and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a proof to them. Jesus was telling him, basically, you go obey the law. Leviticus chapter 14 It had the instructions for what he is to do. And Jesus is reminding him, you you go do what you're supposed to do now. But then we read in verse 15, the report about him went abroad. Great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. You know, I can appreciate modern medicine, and you can too. There's things that you can be healed of that not so many years ago were a death sentence. We're happy to have that modern medicine. They didn't have modern medicine. Their hope for cures were few and far between. And now Jesus enters the scene. And He is healing If there was only one doctor, only one doctor who could heal. People wouldn't be calling to make an appointment. They'd be lining up at his door. And they wouldn't leave. They would be camping out at his house. If we had only one doctor that could heal. Let me tell you something. We've got modern medicine. You can't do what Jesus could do. But there still is only one great physician who can heal the sin-sick soul. And that's Jesus. I wish everyone would be camping outside, as it were, Jesus' house. Waiting on Him. Jesus healed the leper. Great report. Great crowds. Verse 16. The English Standard Translation says, But He would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Now the way it's worded, it would seem that He's not speaking of just simply this incident, but that 
to say he would draw was this was his manner custom. In the New King James Version and the New American Standard Bible, you have the word often. In other words, he would often withdraw to desolate places and pray. A couple of weeks ago, we had noticed Jesus in prayer. And here we ought to just remember it again. Jesus in prayer. A busy time. Get away and pray. Now in verse 17, he begins the story of healing the paralytic. And if somebody were to say, Steve, uh, give me a list of your top five miracles that you really enjoy reading about. This would be on the list. I just think it's neat. Now, the way it starts out, he says, The Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. So people, word had gotten around, people had traveled, and now they were sitting at Jesus' feet, and He's teaching. This is the first mention of Pharisees in the book of Luke. Now, if you were to say, okay, Pharisees, Pharisees, who who were the Pharisees? Well, the word separatist kind of comes from that, that, that name. Sometimes we think of Pharisees and we think of, oh, Jesus really put them in their place in Matthew 23. The most scathing rebuke you can read in the New Testament, Matthew 23, directed towards the Pharisees. They were the ones who were strict about the law. The problem wasn't so much being strict about the law, so much as making laws where there were no laws, and being hypocritical and not sincere in their service for the Lord. It's as if the law hadn't gotten to their heart yet. Sometimes we think Pharisees, and we think, whoo, country's full of them. Josephus gives an estimate of six thousand Pharisees. That's not a huge number. Six thousand Pharisees. Pharisees, the teachers, come from even as far as Jerusalem. They're sitting here listening to Jesus. But there was some men. Mark says four men who have a friend that's paralyzed. And they want to get to Jesus. Just think, Jesus inside this house, and it's crowded. And it's so crowded, they can't get in. But they're desperate. And they are determined. They know the only place to go for that healing is Jesus. It's the gale up on the roof. And they dig through, and this place, it speaks of through the tiles. They tear off the roof. And I can just imagine, here Jesus is teaching all these people around. Probably they don't notice the sound or the fact that someone's gone up the outside stairs of that house to the roof. Maybe they don't even notice the noise on the roof, but then some debris begins to fall around them. Huh? And they see some light coming through that roof where there was no light. And then a man being let down. 
And it says, when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. Wait. They wanted him healed of being paralyzed. He says, your sins are forgiven you. Pharisees, they perk up on this. And they say, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Okay, that's kind of the point. Is Jesus approving he's just not a man with what's about to take place? Then it says, when Jesus perceived their thoughts, you can hide nothing from Jesus. What are you thinking about right now? Jesus knows. You can hide nothing from Jesus. He perceived their thoughts. And then he says, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man, this is the first time Mark mentions Son of Man, and he mentions it 26 times, it's mentioned about 80 times plus in the Gospels. A way, refer to Jesus, but also kind of grasping His humanity. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And then you could just picture it. He says to the man who is paralyzed, as if he turns and says to him, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And there's that word again, immediately. He rose up before them, picked up what he had been lying on, and went home glorifying God. He could... He could heal this paralyzed man. In essence, he could say, if I can heal the paralyzed man, I can forgive sins. In verse 26, I delight in reading these words. Verse 26, an amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. Now verse 27 begins with the call of Levi. Now, Levi would be Matthew, just another name for him. He is a tax collector. Um, Tax collectors were regarded as dishonest. The Hebrew Talmud classified them among robbers. And he's sitting at a tax booth and Jesus says, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. Leaving everything... He rose and followed him. Well, we've already noticed that back in verse 11 with regards to Peter and these other fishermen. They left everything and followed him. Hadn't really thought much about this, but what if it didn't work out? Okay. They followed Jesus. What if it didn't work out? They probably could go back to their fishing. Life resumes like normal. Levi's a tax collector. What if it doesn't work out? He's lost his job. There's probably no going back. It's like there can't be a plan B. 
He left all and followed Jesus. That's a challenge, isn't it? It really is. Could we say we've done such? Left all and followed Jesus. Then look what he did. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. Some have suggested that Levi might have been the um, richest apostle, having been this tax collector, and able to make this great feast in his house. And it says, He called a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table. We also find in Matthew 9.9, Jesus reclined at the table. He found Jesus. He's following Jesus. And immediately he's trying to bring people to Jesus. He gets all of his friends together. Hey, I'll feed you. Big feast. But Jesus is going to be there. He cared about his friends. He wanted them to know Jesus too. Oh, the Pharisees didn't like this, you see. Of course, the Pharisees wouldn't have been there and in there because they would have kind of kept the tax collectors, you see, at, at arm's length. And the sinners, who they perceived the sinners, at arm's length. Nah, I'm not going to go there. And so they accused Jesus, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? His answer, of course, they that are whole do not need a physician, but they that are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So we've looked at Jesus calling the disciples, uh, Peter and these other ones. And then Jesus heals the paralytic. And then Jesus calls... Levi, and then the very last, a question about fasting. Now, I want you to listen as we read through this quickly, because I'll admit that my take on this is a little different than what I typically read and hear people say. Beginning in verse 33, the disciples of John fast often and offer prayers, and so the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours, Jesus, your disciples, they eat and drink. Jesus said, can you make wedding guests fast for the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and when they will fast in those days. He also told them a parable and he gives two of these. He says, no one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does, he will tear the new one and the piece from the new one will not match the old. It's kind of like, you just don't do this. You messed up two garments if you do this. And by the way, you know, if you torn up, messed up the, the new one, and then you take that new piece of cloth, put it on that old garment, that old garment is done shrunk all up, uh, but that new one, it, it, it hasn't. So it's going to shrink. You just, you just mess both of them up. Well, then he also goes on to this about the wineskins. He says... No one puts new wine in old wineskins. Okay, that's kind of beyond us a little bit. He says, if he does, the new wine will burst the skins and it will be spilled. Well, these skins, new ones, were kind of elastic. 
and, and, and they could be stretched a little bit. And if grape juice was in one and it began to ferment a little, the gases just kind of stretch, as it were, that, that wineskin used as a bottle. But if you take an old one and it's stretched out, and then you put that grape juice in there, and if it were to ferment a little bit, and, and those gases expand, then it just busts the thing. Verse 38, but new wine must be put in fresh wineskins. And then his conclusion in verse 39, and no one after drinking old wine desires new, for he says the old is good. Well, oftentimes I hear this discussed and people say, what does this mean? I say, well, it means, it means, you know, Judaism, you can't patch it up. Christianity is new. And it's altogether Christianity. Got to leave this old behind. You got to go the new. That sounds good. But it's just kind of like as I'm reading this, that is nothing to do with the context. The context is they're asking Jesus about, you know, why do, why did John's disciples fast often and offer prayers and the disciples of Pharisees do this and yours eat and drink? And then he gives the answer, he says, because, you know, the days are coming, the bridegroom take it away. And then they'll fast in those days. I'm here with you. I think he's talking about, really, it's an inappropriate thing, and you understand this about the garment. It's an inappropriate thing, and you understand that with the wineskin. And I think that's how he's explaining why it was... It is appropriate that the disciples eat and drink and have joy as Jesus is with them. But if you take the other view, that's okay. I'm not going to argue with you. These four sections, that's Luke chapter 5. And I hope that as these, some of these things we've looked out, looked at, you'll be challenged by. And you'll be thinking, I, I want to be that disciple of Jesus that catches man, men. I want to be that disciple of Jesus that would leave all and follow Him. I want to be that disciple of Jesus who has such a faith in Him that I seek Him out. And I'd say, if you will, you can make me clean. I want to be that disciple of Jesus like Matthew, that would call all of his friends together and have Jesus present. If we could assist you in your obedience tonight, either for baptism, if you're that penitent believer, or if you need to have prayer for you, we'd be glad to take the time and pray. If you need to come, please come as we